Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Uh, yeah, normally, normally my kiddos are here, but every summer... Uh, they get an opportunity to go be with grandparents down in Kelowna and uh, Vancouver Island, and it's a thing that all of us look forward to. Let's be honest, all of us look forward to it. And, and I also find that the next day afterwards, I feel a little out of sorts, and that's today. So I'm just going to pray right now. And uh, I know there's other people that have kids that are, whether they're adults or, or children, young children, that are away from us. And so let's just pray together. Jesus, you love our kids. And you are with them wherever they are. And so we just acknowledge that they are in good hands because they're in your hands. And today would we experience uh, a new, fresh awareness of what it means for you to be our Father and for you to be our, our kids' Savior and Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, that's a little better. Have you ever noticed between adults and kids that they approach doubt differently? doubts about their faith differently. My youngest is nine years old, and he's very, like, casual about his doubts. One day, he'll just be like, yeah, you know what, Mom? I don't think Jesus is real. I'm not sure. You know, I don't know if he, like, if I really hear his voice. Like, I don't know if he really talks. You know, maybe, maybe we've just kind of, like, made this all up because it makes us feel good. And internally, there's that moment of, like, uh-oh, what is happening? For me, uh-oh, what is happening? And then the next day, he'll be like, you know what, Mom? Jesus spoke to me. I was crying. He took away my fear. It was beautiful. And I'm like, oh, okay, we're good. We're over that. <laughs> Two days later, yeah, you know what? I don't know heaven if, if heaven's a real. And I'm like, what is happening? But he, he just has these wonderings, and he's, he's just saying them out loud. There, there's no weight to them. There's no guilt. There's no wondering what his wondering means. And then my daughter, who's a little bit older, I've noticed her doubt all of a sudden seems to have a bit more weight to her. We were listening yesterday to a podcast episode, and it was just a great podcast called Stuff You Should Know. If you guys like information, fabulous podcast, just about everything. But they were talking about the Shroud of Turin. So what that is, is it's this piece of cloth that... Um, some believe was what was, uh, Jesus was wrapped in in his, his, in his burial tomb. And we listen to the mystery of it, that they can't explain it, but certain things seem to indicate it's from the 1300s, but other things, they have no clue how someone would fake this, back and forth. And so the end of the episode, the, person, the, the hosts were kind of like, I don't know if we'll ever know for sure, one way or the other. So we stopped and I said, hey guys, so... Baron, Naomi, what, what do you think? Do you think it's real? Do you think it's not? And Baron was like, no, it's not. And I was like, oh, okay. 
But Naomi, it was, it was interesting. She's like, no, I believe it's real. And I was like, okay, why? She's like, you just have to believe. You just have to have faith in God. Don't doubt. And I'm like, okay, but like, what convinced you in this podcast episode? She's like, nope, you just have to have faith. Like, that was what Jesus rose in. And if you don't believe that, like, he rose. We know he rose. And I was like, okay, this is an interesting thing that somewhere she, in her mind, it sounds, I could be mistaken, but in her mind, it was kind of like, if I doubt that this is real, then what I'm saying is maybe Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And so she was like, nope, you just have to have faith. And I've seen that also in, in other kids her age too. Uh, I was talking to a friend and she was just sharing how her, her daughter was having this conversation with a friend and, and her friend was like, man, I don't know if God's real and, and I don't know if heaven's real. To which uh, my friend's daughter replied, you just have to have faith. You just gotta believe. To which the friend was like, does that say that anywhere in the Bible? Like, are we allowed to ask questions? And it was interesting that it seems that as we get older and older, all of a sudden, doubt becomes something bad in our faith. Something that we need to avoid, that it's an indicative of something wrong, and so we just stay away from it, or at the very least, don't talk about it. But I think some of this bad rap that doubt has, some of it has come in because I think the misconceptions we have about doubt or the things we've piled on top of our doubt. So first of all, I think it's important just for us to understand what, when I say doubting our faith, this is what I mean. I mean the wondering, not quite sure. You have questions about the truthness or legitness of something. Or maybe you're in a place where it's like, I I don't know. It could be, it couldn't be, is it? And these these doubts in faith, I think can be categorized two ways. One is intellectual. So there's just some things people have doubts about the authenticity of the Bible, of the creation account, the existence of a historical Jesus. Those are kind of things with our mind. And often those are maybe ones that people who have not yet chosen to follow Jesus, that maybe those are the places they can get hung up on. However, there's another type of doubt, and I think this is where the bulk of our doubts land. And that's in the emotional ones. Am I saved? Does God hear me? What if I'm wrong about this? Why did God let this happen? Did I make the right decision? Kind of the whys of life. And I think as we have those doubts and those questions come up into our mind where we're not sure, what happens is we attach misconceptions to it. And one misconception is the idea that doubt is the opposite of faith in Jesus. We can get into our heads that it's, if we have doubt, we lack faith, therefore it's bad. I don't, I don't think that's true. Jesus really doesn't seem to mind people having doubts. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, This is where Jesus kind of, in the end of Matthew, tells his disciples, this is what I want you to do. Jesus came, and this is Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. So we often hear this, and we're like, okay, yeah, Jesus is telling the people that, that have complete faith, that have walked with him for three years, seen him rose from the dead, he's telling like committed followers to go out. But have you ever looked at the two verses before? This is what the two verses before say. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. It was only earlier this year that I saw that, and I was like, wait. Jesus would have known that they doubted, and he still gave them the Great Commission? He commissioned those who not only lacked complete faith, but were confirmed doubters. And here he doesn't even address it, like, hey guys, you need to believe fully before you're doing this. I think he's okay. Because here's the thing, I think doubt actually means we have faith. If we just didn't believe, if it was just like, no, there is no God, there, there would actually be no doubt, would there? But it's in the wrestling of, I, I think, I'm not sure, the back and forth. It shows that we actually have faith, but we're wrestling through it. Doubt demands more from what we believe. Doubt's not satisfied with trite answers or, or even other people's experiences. But when we take our doubts and allow it to propel us to make our faith our own, can God handle it? What happens if we, we follow the doubt all the way to the end? I think if we follow our doubt keep pushing, keep looking, that in the end we'll find Jesus because he's truth and faith in him. Who he is and what he has done and what he will do can stand against any doubt, any wandering, any searching that we engage in. So doubt is not opposite of faith in Jesus. And another misconception that we can have that kind of prevents us from engaging with doubt is that we have said that doubt and unbelief are the same thing. And I don't think they are. I could be, I could be wrong, but the, and maybe it's my understanding of the two words. But in my mind, unbelief is chosen, certain. I don't believe, done. You're, you've decided. It's a chosen thing. It's over. You're settled. Whereas doubt seems, involves questions, involves wondering, uncertainty, that I don't know, I'm not sure, that you're open to the possibility of what could be. Either in um, confirmation of where you think it is or, or against that. Doubt in and of itself is not bad and not something we should avoid. However, it's how we engage with our doubt 
that determines whether it's helpful or damaging. I think in a helpful way, it can cause us to ask more of each other. It helps connect us as we reach out and say, hey, I don't know about this, what do you think? It causes us to discover and explore and question and challenge and learn. Because again, if we doubt and we keep digging until we land and grab something, hold of something that is solid, what we're gonna grab hold of is Jesus. And that's a good doubt that has landed us at the feet of Jesus, holding on to him. But doubt can also be damaging. We can engage with it in some ways that that actually can do damage to us or cause us to remain stuck in the doubt that then ends in in unbelief. Sometimes I saw this at university as as, uh, believers would come into university and they would have a professor of, really any professor, say something that directly challenged their faith. And it was like all of a sudden it opened the door to some doubt. But it was interesting. I watched people kind of, oh, if I have doubt, therefore my faith is fragile, therefore it's not real, so I don't believe. It was kind of the chain reaction that happened. So if we take our doubts as an indication that our faith is fragile and discard it, that's going to be damaging. Another way we can engage with our doubt in a damaging way is if we keep silent and pretend we don't have any. Because then all we end up doing is, is operating in performance, in hypocrisy. And we don't even give Jesus a chance to meet us in our doubts because we're too busy shoving them down. Another way we can engage in doubts that's damaging is um, sometimes, and I've, and I've seen this, as people have been uh, wrestling with their faith, you know, deconstructing, trying to pull apart the parts that aren't Jesus and hold to Jesus. I, I've been where it's almost like people have felt like they need to distribute their doubt among their friends and get their friends to agree with their doubts in a way to validate their doubts. Does that make sense? It's like people work to try and convince others that this is a legitimate doubt as some way to make it okay that they're doubting. Which in the end is not pursuing more exploring and digging into things. It's kind of just spreading your own personal doubts in hopes that other pick it up. Which I don't think is helpful. That's different than going to friends and say, hey, This is where I'm struggling. I'm not too sure about this. And having a conversation, that's different. But that's a way that can be damaging and keeps us stuck in our doubt. But how do we engage with our doubt in a healthy way? What do we need to uh, operate in that enables us to go deeper and more solid into what we believe in the person of Jesus. Well, to that, I think we should look at the story of Thomas. So right now, I'm just going to read the story of Thomas, and then I'm going to have some questions that just a few minutes that you are going to uh, talk at your table with.
So this is in John 20, verse 19. And just listen. Listen for what catches your attention. Listen for what is highlighted here for you. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was there, standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, named, nicknamed the twin, was not was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my finger into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he looked, said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So just take a few minutes and around the table I want you to share what caught your attention and why. And so we're focusing on this story. We're not like talking about all the other stories and bringing it in or personal experience. This is just from this story. What caught your attention and why? So take a few minutes, share around the table. If you have a large group of people in the table, this is gonna be like a few sentences, not, not a paragraph. I'll give you a, a, about two, three minutes for that. Okay. So the second question I'd like you to discuss around your tables is what does this passage tell us about Jesus? So here's the thing. This might be tricky for some of us who uh, have read the Bible and, and know a lot of other stories. We want to stick to this passage. If this was the only thing we read and knew about Jesus, what does this passage tell us about Jesus? So if in your table, if not everyone got to share, start with the people, if they're comfortable, start with the people who didn't get a chance to share so that everyone has an opportunity to contribute if they would like. Okay, so what does this passage alone tell us about Jesus? I'll give you a few minutes for that. Okay. Let's wrap up our conversations. Hmm. So if you have not uh, heard this story before, or read this story before, I'm assuming, or it's highly probable, that you're at least aware of Thomas's nickname, Doubting Thomas. He's kind of gotten a bad rap, hey? We don't think of Peter as flaky Peter, or Abraham as lying Abraham, or, or Gideon. We don't call him cowardly Gideon. 
But Thomas, Thomas gets doubting Thomas. And we've kind of used the story to be like, and don't be like him. Why? He was just like all the other disciples. Did you know that? The disciples were told by women that they have encountered Jesus and he has risen, and they didn't believe them. We see this in Luke 24, 8 to 11. Then they, the the women, remembered what he had said. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everybody else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. And this is like encounter Jesus. He's, you know, two men came and said, no, he's risen. Don't you remember he said this would happen? Verse 11, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Thomas was like every other disciple. Why does he get the bad rap? Right? And sometimes we can, do, we can have uh, this perspective, oh, well, he was skeptical, he was cynical, you don't want to be like him. I think he was just devastated, grieving, and wounded. The guy, for three years that he followed, that he sacrificed for, that he said he would go to his death for, the one he thought the Messiah that was going to free them from the Roman oppression, that this was the Messiah, and he pinned everything on this guy. And he died. And then a few of his friends said, no, 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 he's risen from the dead. And we're like, oh, doubting Thomas. He just had skepticism. No. He was like every other disciple. Could I dare hope that that be true? Also, let's look at Jesus' part. If Thomas was, you know, such a bad dude for asking for, you know, a personal encounter with Jesus, you would have thought Jesus would be like, no, sorry, you're just going to have to believe But that doesn't actually happen. Jesus shows up for Thomas and speaks directly to what Thomas said. He shows up and says, yeah, look at my hands. Look at my side. Shove your fingers and hands in there. Go for it. What I find interesting, and and I suspect some of you, maybe this caught your attention, is it never said that Thomas did that. Jesus said, hey, go for it. And from that, Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. It's a high point in the Gospel of John, actually, I think. Not a warning. But then we have this thing that Jesus says that says, hey, you, you know, uh, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your faith into my wound and my side, don't be faithless any longer, believe. It, it could be that way. Or it could be, don't be faithless any longer, believe. Again, I think we've read that as a condemnation of Thomas. Like, ugh, you should just believe already. 
but he actually gives Thomas what he wants, a personal encounter with him, like all the other disciples got. He shows up, and from that, I think it's more of a, now you get to choose. I want you to believe. Don't be faithless any longer. I'm here for you, Thomas. I see your heart. I see what you need. Believe. This And then there's another part that Jesus says that again, we've kind of seen it as, oh, again, he's warning us not to be like Thomas. When at the end, Jesus says, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. It's kind of like, well, if you have to see me, you're kind of the, you know, less than. But blessed are those who don't need to see me. I think it's an exhortation to us an encouragement. He, Jesus knew there'd be people coming behind the disciples that wouldn't have had an uh, embodied experience with Jesus. And he's saying, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. This story isn't a warning. This isn't a thing that says, don't be like Thomas. But instead, John, who wrote this book, I think uses this story to illustrate what John hopes happens for all of us as we read scriptures. Because right after this story of Thomas, John goes into the purpose of his book. Did you know that? Goes right from Thomas's story into verse 30. The disciples saw Jesus do many miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Thomas's story illustrates the whole purpose of the Gospel of John. To hear about Jesus, experience his power, have an encounter with him, and that led Thomas to belief and life in him. And that's what John wants all of us to encounter. So what makes Thomas's doubt the helpful kind that propelled him deeper into his faith and relationship with Jesus? Well, first of all, I think Thomas doubted in relationship. Did that, was that any of the thing that people caught their attention? So the 11 disciples come back, or 10, oops, 10 disciples come back and say, hey, we saw Jesus, he's alive. Thomas is, no, I won't believe it until this happens. Then eight days later, they're all together again. Can you imagine that? So 10 of your friends are like, he's risen, he's risen, this changes everything. And you're like, no, but eight days later, you're still hanging out with the people who are claiming what you don't believe. Why? I think because there was connection there. There was relationship there. There was community there. They had been there together for three years, and he was still with them. And I think there's a twofold lesson in this for us. One, as we experience doubts, stay in relationship with people who have different doubts than you in your faith journey. This allows us to hold space and faith for each other in different places. I think on the flip side, if people around us are having doubts that are different than ours or, or we perceive to be pretty big doubts, which Thomas's doubt was a pretty big doubt, 
Stay in relationship. Doubt in and of itself is not contagious. Don't withdraw from people. Don't do hard lines in the sand. Could you imagine if the rest of the disciples were like, hey dude, you either believe he rose from the dead or not. And if you don't believe, we'll see you later, bye. But sometimes we can do that. Sometimes maybe in our own insecurity or worrying what this doubt means, we draw hard lines in the sands. Like, well, you have to believe this, and if you don't, well, see you later. We want to stay in relationship with people. Because this is a good thing. When we doubt in relationship, it holds spaces for people. We can lend our strength to other places, people of wo- other places of people's wobbling, and it allows for conversation and rumbling and engagement. Rather than doubting in isolation and in our own heads, that can lead to unbelief. The second way that Thomas engaged in doubt is in honesty. We see this in 25. They said in uh, John 20, 25, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into him, and place my hand into the wound in his side. He didn't beat around the bush at all, actually. He was quite up front. I need an encounter like Jesus, like you had, to believe, just like you. And I just want to point out, notice it wasn't a hard and fast, no, I don't believe that. He left space. He said, I don't believe that, I won't believe that unless this happens. So he was open still to the possibility. We also see his uh, honesty other places in John. We see it in John 14. So Jesus is is talking, and he says, Jesus says to his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I'm going. And you know the way to where I'm going. This is Thomas's response. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? I just appreciate Thomas here. He was honest. He was like, I don't actually know what you're talking about. Because I suspect, given other stories of the disciples, that a lot of them also didn't know. But they didn't say anything. Maybe, maybe Peter was too tired of being the one to speak up. But Thomas, right? And from Thomas's honesty of, I have no clue what you're talking about, comes one of the great declarations of who Jesus is from Jesus. So Thomas says, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And this is what Jesus replies. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. When we have doubts, we need to be honest about them. We need to admit our doubts. Why are we pretending we don't have any? What's driving that for you? And then finally, the third thing that we we need to have as we engage with our doubts, we need to have courage and boldness. 
So we see Thomas show up uh, kind of earlier in John, in John 11, and it's the story of Lazarus. So Lazarus was uh, one of Jesus' friends. He was really sick. Word got back to Jesus, like, hey, come. Your friend's really sick. It's near Jerusalem. Come. And Jesus is like, okay, but he stays for two days. And finally, he's like, let's go back to Judea. And his disciples are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Only a few days ago, they were trying to stone you. Do you actually want to go there again? And Jesus says, basically, nope, I'm going to go. Lazarus has fallen asleep, i.e. dead. I will go and wake him up. And then Thomas, nicknamed the twin, this is in uh, John 11, verse 16. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, says to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. So, This can be interpreted two ways. Some people kind of take it like, man, Thomas is so pessimistic. Like, okay, let's go and we'll just all die. I think he was a realist. Like, they they knew that Jesus had already tried to be stoned. They knew that they were in a dangerous situation here. I think he was a realist. realist. I think he understood the situation. What was that cost? And he agreed anyways. I think that shows that he was courageous. And then even his acknowledgement or his declaration to the rest of his friends in John 20, where he says, I won't believe it until I get the same encounter as you get. That took courage. All of his other friends that were still around said, we've seen him. This has changed our life. And he's the one guy who speaks up and says, I I didn't and I, I don't believe you. It would have been easy to keep quiet out of fear, wouldn't it? And how often in our doubts do we keep quiet out of fear? Fear of the arguments it will cause, or what will people think, or I'll lose my place of authority, or I'll be the odd person out and I won't fit in anymore if I acknowledge this. But what happens is if we don't approach our fear, if we don't approach our doubts with courage and boldness, and instead agree with fear, it actually drives our doubts underground and actually doesn't produce the helpful doubt that drives us towards engagement and learning and communication. It keeps us stuck. So when we engage with our doubts in relationship, with honesty and courage, doubt can be a wonderful gift that brings us deeper and more convinced of our faith in Jesus. The worship team can come back up. Doubt and Thomas, for a lot of years, have gotten a bad rap. Things we aren't supposed to engage in, people we're not supposed to be like if we're real followers of Jesus. Because we thought that doubt means less faith. We've thought that doubt means unbelief. However, I believe doubt is an essential part of our deepening and grabbing hold of our faith. And whether it's helpful or damaging is how we engage with it. We need to engage it in relationship, in honesty, and with courage. We're invited to doubt like Thomas. 
So as we go into this, this last song, I, just, I, I would like you to uh, talk to Jesus about some things. So out of the things we had talked about, misconceptions of doubt, around you know, stuff that maybe other people or yourself brought up in table discussion, and the example of Thomas, I want you, if you're comfortable, just to ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want me to hold on to in this? What do you want me to remember? And then the second part is, Jesus, is there anything you want me to do? So we're going to sing the last song. Just ask Jesus those two questions, and, and I'm not going to get you to share around the table. Feel free afterwards if it feels like something you want or need to share with someone, go for it, but I'm not going to um, make you guys do that. So again, Jesus, what do you want me to hold on to? Jesus, what do you want me to do? We'll sing one last song, and then I'll come up for... Uh, a benediction. The benediction today comes from Ephesians 4. That I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Jesus today, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ever ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ, and then make him known.